Jim Essien, the Paradox Church. Welcome to this episode of uh, Hig Talks. Uh, how's it going? I'm good, man. Yeah, thanks good. for having me. Glad to have you here. I think I've been excited about talking to you today because this is a different perspective. I think oftentimes we think of churches as kind of, oh, they're kind of over there. Um, but there's something very entrepreneurial about a church in general that it's, uh, it's building a business. It's a different type of business. It's a nonprofit. But a lot of the skill set that you have in building the Paradox Church is the same one that a lot of our other business owners are, you know, same skill sets that they're using as well. So start with, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, background, uh, baseball player turned general contractor turned <laughs> yeah. pastor. Yeah. 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 Grew up in Detroit in a, in a baseball family. My dad was, uh, uh, still is six decades in professional baseball. Uh, and, uh, he, uh, he retired from, uh, the major leagues when I was four and then got right into managing and coaching and, and did that and still does. Uh, and, um, so I grew up around that traveling a lot, yeah. uh, with my dad, uh, with our, with our family. Um, and then uh, at 18 signed with Michigan state to play football, but also got drafted. So, uh, ended up going to play with the Royals. Were you going to play baseball too at Michigan yes. state? Okay. Here yes. you both. But yeah. it, it was football that. Yeah. Pays, pays the bills. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so shout out Nick Saban, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I had to walk into Nick Saban's office and, and, um, uh, cause I actually went for the first couple of weeks of football practice and decided to sign with the Royals. So I walked into Nick Saban's office to tell him I was leaving. It was the most intimidating moment of my life. <laughs> uh, he's only like five, four, yeah. <laughs> but he's a very scary man. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so played eight years in the minor leagues. Uh, and uh, retired at the, the young age of 26. Nice. Uh, had uh, got married and uh, wasn't going to make it, and it was just time to, to shut it down. Yeah. 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 Okay, so let's start there then. First of all, cool background. Um, also, shout out to your dad and his epic mustache. Yeah. If anyone wants to see a great mustache, Google Jim's, Jim Essien. Yes. <laughs> James yeah, Essien, yeah, either yeah. way. Um, but uh, – so let's start there then. All right. So you decide you're finished playing baseball. You've got a wife. Where are you living at that time? Well, the plan was to, uh, we were up in Detroit. Uh, okay. So my last year was with the Tigers. Uh, we, I'm, I grew up there mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I was going to get into my, my, uh, my uncles and cousins uh, had a, a Raymond James office mm. uh, and I was going to jump right in and, and start, start doing that. I'm from a huge family. Um, so my, my wife is from this area. She's from uh, Crowley, okay. uh, Crowley, Texas, uh, but not a, not a huge family here at all. Mm. Um, and back home, uh, I'm, my dad's one of 13. My mom's one of five. I've got 55 first cousins. We all live, Jeez. grew up right around each other. Yeah, yeah. And so it just seemed uh, uh, practical and natural just to live, live at home and uh, be a successful, uh, you know, securities and, uh, you know, finance and, and all of that and just do what my, my family was doing. Right. Um, so that, that was where we were. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the plan. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, just felt led to move down to Fort Worth, uh, not really knowing exactly why or, or what. Yeah. Uh, so we moved down here uh, in 2007. Yeah. Uh, and pretty soon after that felt uh, just a call to start a church in downtown Fort Worth. So what is, this is a little bit of an ethereal question, but like, what does that feel like? Like, I feel called to do this, yeah. you know? Cause I mean, I think a lot of our business owners probably feel that yeah. in some regards, yeah. uh, certainly it's a little bit different and maybe a little bit more, um, I don't know. Maybe, uh, 
Yeah. But maybe not. I mean, yeah. so I, I think, I mean, there's the, there's the calling sense of, uh, you know, I'm gifted in this way. I'm passionate about this thing. Mm. Um, I, I want to do this. Uh, I see a need. Um, and, and, and so I, you know, it, it's what I want to do. Right. Yeah. And I, I think there's, there is a lot of freedom in that. And yeah. We should do what we want to do. Right. Um, but then I, I do think there's also a, uh, there can be just a, a, and I, I would hate to bifurcate like one is supernatural and one isn't one is spiritual right. and one isn't, right. but, um, mine felt it, it's the one where you're going in one direction and you feel completely called to another direction that makes no sense at all. <laughs> you know, that yeah. was what mine was. I yeah. mean, my direction was, uh, family, be successful, uh, uh, you know, uh, make a lot of money, uh, and, uh, and, and, and go in this direction. Mm -hmm. And so that call that at least that particular call was pretty like, Nope, we're going to go this way, mm. uh, to a place that doesn't make sense. Uh, with no real direction yet yeah. uh, in regards to what that looks like. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for unpacking that. And so then, all right. So now you're in Texas. Like, yeah. where do you even start? I'm it was terrible. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, my, I'm really funny north of the Mason Dixon line. Uh, and, and so y'all were really weird down here. You're still pretty weird. Yeah. Most, most of, most of you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it was just a, it was a very, it was a culture shock, uh, when I got here. Um, and I had traveled around a lot, mm -hmm. but I mean, if, if you've been involved in sports, uh, before that, you know, sports military, there's certain things that are like a, such a strong subculture mm -hmm. that you don't really experience the, the, the greater culture around you. Mm. Um, I don't know if insurance is like that, but <laughs> it's uh, not, I don't think it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but I, I just, you know, as much as I traveled, I was always a part of this kind of subculture of, of athletics. Yeah. And so then you get thrown into just. A, you know, a new place. It was just very strange. People were strange. Right. Um, but, um, we loved Fort Worth, fell in love with Fort Worth right away. Uh, and just felt, um, you know, again, that confirmation of that call to be here. Mm. Uh, and, uh, so my wife had started a, a photography business. Uh, she's now an artist. She's an entrepreneur. Um, uh, yeah, I might should have had your wife on this podcast. She actually. would be, yeah, she'd be, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and then I, I just, um, I started a, a baseball camp, football camp with one of your previous guests. Nice. Nick. Uh, we, when I first got down here, we just, uh, threw together something and, and started doing some stuff together. Uh, and I was just doing random stuff, man. I was a 26 year old, no college degree, uh, who all he was good at was baseball. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and just slowly began to, um, uh, uh, build those things that we were building. Uh, eventually went to work with my wife. We, we took, we, we did the business together for a while, mm. uh, and had a few other photographers with us and we're doing destination weddings and had a studio on Magnolia before Magnolia was even Magnolia. Mm. Uh, we were part of that kind of being developed wow. and, and growing into what it, what it is now. Uh, but, uh, real pretty soon after we came down here, uh, I found out, I didn't know you could do this. I found out you could start your own church. And, uh, as soon as I found out that you could start your own church, I immediately knew that's what, uh, I was supposed to do. Hmm. Okay. So I'm supposed to start my own church. Was, is that just like, I stand outside and like, just see if people listen to me or, I mean, cause there's obviously a very, again, entrepreneurial business aspect of that. And yeah. so just like starting any other business to your point, no college degree, no one in your family had started a church, right? No. You know? So, I mean, 
how do you even yeah. start? Are there? Yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, I, so it's funny, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, a, a tool that some businesses use called the cultural index. And uh, I, took that, I took that one time and, uh, and, and basically I, I'm unhirable, like nobody would ever hire me <laughs> uh, because nobody would ever want me to work for them. Yeah. Uh, I, I forget what it's called, but it's just, I'm, I'm something and I'm, I'm that to such a high degree that it'd be impossible for me to work for anybody. Mm. Uh, and, and, and so I, I think it was just, I, I knew that that's what I was supposed to do. And so I went and figured out kind of how to do it. And what, what was a blessing was just, um, uh, we're a part of a, a church planting network. So we, we, not only did we start a church, but we're a part of starting other churches. Mm. Uh, and, uh, at the time, um, they, I mean, obviously they, they, they helped develop me and, and teach me and kind of learn from them how to, how to do something like that. But at the time, uh, uh, and it's changed a little bit, all those guys were just high entrepreneurs, high entrepreneurs. Uh, you know, you, you, uh, you go start it, you figure it out, you figure it out, mm. you know, it's, mm. um, and so we just kind of figured it out, uh, yeah. ask a bunch of questions and read a bunch of books and listen to a bunch of podcasts and, uh, and, and then mm. start, uh, you know, telling people you're going to do something and, and why you're going to do it. And yeah. hopefully they come. What about like the money side of things? Like, I mean, obviously Heather, your wife was working at the time. And so I'm assuming she's kind of supporting to a degree and you're, you're kind of no, doing no, both. We, or what yeah. You? So we were doing it together at the time the the, yeah. the, 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 the business, she got pregnant, uh, uh, just as we were beginning to really ramp up you know, Hey, we're going to start this church. Hmm. So we were going to birth a church and a baby at the same time. And she wanted to stay home, mm-hmm. uh, with the kids. Uh, and, and so we slowly started weaning ourselves off of the photography business, um, uh, about a year or so out from actually starting the church. So yeah, we, we went from six, you know, six figure company to, um, you know, hardly, you know, making anything at all, uh, Man. those first couple of years. Um, uh, what so that was that was, like? That was how, fun. How, how'd the wife handle that? How did you handle that? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't remember. It, it was just, <laughs> it, you, you're again, you're kind of just, you're, you're, you're one track mind when you're starting something, when you're mm-hmm. building something and when you're, uh, I mean, we were just, uh, we, all we were concerned about was, is this thing going to work? You know, mm-hmm. this thing that we were, we're called to start and to begin, is, is this going to work? Um, and you know, we, we were about to have our first kid, but we didn't have a lot of responsibilities. And you know, there was, when you're young, you, you take risks and yeah. do dumb things. And if you fail, you fail. So did that network you're referring to, did they, did they give you money to start? Yeah. Did you just have to go ask people? Yeah. You gotta go ask people. Yeah. So, so, um, I had a, I had a goal to raise $250,000, um, and had a, you know, business plan or church proposal. Do you have to present that to someone or present it to other churches, other organizations, individuals, Mm -hmm. you know, whoever, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, basically we're like a a NASCAR driver, just as many sponsorships as possible. Uh, you (laughs) know, stickers everywhere. It doesn't matter. doesn't, we don't care at that point. You don't care. Uh, you know, and of course this is 12 years ago, so you didn't have as much like cancel culture tribalism, but you didn't care who they were, uh, you know, associated with or you you got money, we'll take it, you know? Um, so my goal is to raise $250,000. I think I raised 50. So I was terrible (laughs) at fundraising, but what I was good at was getting people and, you know, obviously, um, uh, uh, people that are, want to be a part of something like that. They're going to, they're going to support that and, and give to the church. So what do you think? And maybe this is a hard question to, to answer, but what do you think about your past? Again, like 
nothing if i looked at your resume nothing would tell me like there's nothing on the resume this is the no. church guy <laughs> or like or this guy would be the guy to build a business like what do you think in your past equipped you to yeah. like just have that stick to itness yeah, yeah. or like was it just sport was it like your parents were just yeah entrepreneurial i mean what yeah. what do you think it was yeah i mean I, I think i mean you know the best indicator of what somebody's going to do is what they've already done so I, I i do think there was things in my past that i had been able to be successful with that you know you look back on it it's like that does make sense mm. now the pastoring part didn't make as much sense <laughs> yeah. um uh, it, you know my, my family and people that knew me growing up i mean they were all very 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 surprised <laughs> uh and uh and baseball isn't exactly professional baseball is not exactly conducive to right. you know a moral life right but um you know, I had, I, I, I was always wired that way. I mean, just, I, I think there's a way, in, again, there's a way in which I'm, I'm wired where I'm not very good at working for other people. Mm. Uh, so I was always starting things and doing things and uh, had, uh, had uh, you know, run a um, indoor sports arena. Uh, I had. Where? Uh, in Detroit. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, in cool. the, yep. And had just started little things and done little things and was always just, um, uh going after that kind of stuff at, you know, a small level, nothing, nothing right. huge, but, right. um, uh, always knew that I was going to be somebody that was, you know, uh, you know, and I mean, like you, I mean, you're, you're, in a, you in a sense run your own business mm -hmm. I mean, you run your mm -hmm. own book and you run your own team and, uh, you don't exactly work for somebody. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. you know, same idea. I just, the, it was wired into me and I had had some success doing some of those things. And, yeah. uh, I, I wasn't, I wasn't going to, um, just go work for, for somebody that wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. Okay. So then, all right. So we've got people coming. You said, you know, you're pretty good at getting people to come. Yeah. People start showing up. Yeah. Where are you meeting? Like, yeah. We're meeting in our living room. Nice. Yeah. So we just uh, had people all like sitting down, all, all you know, backs against the walls. Like, yeah. And, blankets or what are we nope, <laughs> just like? No, no. Sit no, wherever no, you can. No kumbaya. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, we just started, we started gathering people, you know, we had, as we were here, uh, you know, when we had moved to Fort Worth, we were part of a church and uh, we were, we were, you know, leading in, in different places in the church. And we had uh, in a sense built a network of, of people that we had ministered to and, and had built a community. And uh, so when we, uh, when we talked about, hey, we're gonna start a church, um, and it, it would probably make sense to talk a little bit about why. I mean, we, we looked at the landscape of Fort Worth and we saw the, uh, all of the growth in Fort Worth. This is 12 years ago. Mm. Um, and Fort Worth now is, you know, fastest growing big city in America. What is it, 12th largest city right. in America? Bigger than Boston, um, which is crazy. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and so we had, you know, this is 12 years ago. And so we're beginning to see that we, we're living just west of downtown. Uh, and we see the economic growth, the cultural growth, um, uh, population growth of Fort Worth, but didn't see much spiritual growth, mm. um, meaning the, the, the vitality of the churches around us, uh, the vitality specifically of the churches in downtown Fort Worth. Uh, as, as so many people were moving here in the, in the, the city was growing, we didn't see a lot of uh, spiritual growth, mm. uh, that was happening, uh, in the city. And so felt a, just a very, very strong, um, uh, like need, like I have to plant a church in downtown Fort Worth. Mm. Uh, there hadn't been a church started in downtown Fort Worth in over a hundred years that hadn't either died or stayed, mm. you know, all the churches down here now, there's seven or eight of them, uh, have been around over a hundred years. Um, and, um, 
yeah, just uh, just saw a huge need for that. And so that was the vision that we were casting was was just that the, there's a there's a need here. Uh, and there's an opportunity here. Uh, and um, and we didn't want to just start one church, but we wanted to start many churches in the city. Uh, and and then and so we started just telling that story to people uh, and and they they started showing up in our living room. Yeah. And it wasn't long before there was 40, 50, 60 people in the living room. Uh, to where then we, we broke off into three different living rooms. Uh, and once we started to break off into three different groups, uh, that's when you, you need to gather then uh, as a church, uh, everybody together. So we started having these monthly services just to give people a taste of what that would look like. Uh, and Are you... Are you going to all three of those houses and like no. preaching? Or no, no, I, I raised people? up three other leaders okay. and uh, would meet with them, and and uh, and and then people would meet, you mm-hmm. know, at those at those groups. And we still do that today. We got you know fifty or sixty of them scattered around mm. uh, the city. Uh, but uh, uh, so then we started meeting on Sundays once a month, uh, and you'd get you know some some people come and show up and just take a, take a look at what we were doing. And we met all over the city, man. We've met at 11 different places in the city, wow. uh, in the last 11 years. What was the first spot? Um, stage West theater off of Vickery. Nice. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And Botanic gardens and Ridgely theater and ended up at the Van Clyburn hall, which is where we spent the, the most of our time the last Had 10 you years. Spoken a lot previous to like, yeah, I was really good at speaking Carter. <laughs> um, no, no, I did. I had spoken at FCA, you know, things I had, um, I was, uh, you know, I, I was, I was a part of, um, uh, business professionals of American high school and did a lot of public speaking through that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I would, yeah, I would just anywhere that I had an opportunity to speak, I, I would take it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, again, was, uh, that's just a, a, a gift. And, yeah. um, you can't, you can't really boast in something that was given to you. Um, right. that was, uh, I, I, I kind of joke. I've only really been good at baseball and, and preaching. I'm not really good at anything else about the job. Okay. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I was just, I was good at that naturally. Cool. All right. So then you start growing, you start meeting at like a more you know formal location. Right. So now you're building up a business that has a following you have, I'm assuming at this time, you know, tithing people are giving yeah. to the church. And so maybe you're starting to get a little bit more finances and how do you start kind of building out a staff and a team? Yeah. And cause I mean, at a certain point, like every entrepreneur, you're wearing a lot of hats, Yeah. but you know, at what point and how did yeah. you start saying, okay, now I need to start developing a team yeah. and where do I find these people? Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. One of the best things that, uh, that, that, that I've learned is, is just having a running, uh, ideal staffing plan. Um, by running, I just mean I'm constantly looking at that and making changes to it and, and dreaming about, um, you know, personnel, you know, who, who, do, who do we need right now? Like in um, an org chart type way or? Well, both. It's on a Google Doc. Just the ideal staffing plan is on a, on a Google Doc. And then, and then we have a, what we call an accountability chart, not just mm-hmm. an org chart, but who, what are you responsible for? Um, but just the ideal staffing plan is like, what is my context right now? And, 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 and what is God doing and what are we doing well and what are we not doing well? And, and so who do we need? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and constantly looking at, uh, you know, who, who do we need and who, who our next hire is. I, I learned that pretty early on. I forget uh, from whom, but it was really helpful. Like you should always be thinking about, 
um, who your next hire is. Mm. And so I'm literally always constantly thinking who our next hire is. Mm. Um, what's the next, uh, what's the role? Not, not so much the person, though I can talk about that because I do think there's a time where you, you just hire purely for talent right. without even a necessary role, uh, you know. Um, but, but for the most part, it's what's the role? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's going to move us, uh, what's going to move the ball down the field for us as an organization, as a right. church? Um, you know, well, this role, uh, you know, or this more specialized role, uh, or, um, you know, man, this per, you know, the, the, the few times, the rare times where it's like, that's a rare talent. I just want to get that person, him or her. And, uh, and we'll figure out something, right. You know? Right. Uh, and so I've always, always had just a, a running ideal staffing plan. Uh, and, uh, you know, you got some numbers on there, like, uh, you know, what's our budget, what's the, what's our personnel budget. Uh, what kind of room do we have in that budget? Do we want to go over that for mm-hmm. a particular reason at a particular time? But uh, just having a running staffing plan um, made made me constantly think about it. Hmm. Um, so yeah, so we you know early on we we start the church and you know we're talking about you know we go from 120 on that first service to you know we have 350 in the fall you know six seven months later yeah so from the time that i'm the solo staff person to seven months later i've got three times the church that i have when i started mm. um you know we are con- you know we're, you're thinking right away like who's my first staff person right well, who do i need to hire how do i need to do this thing and you know you're talking about uh, contract labor you're talking about uh, part-time full-time things like that and not really knowing where the money's going to come from in my business and uh, probably a, a, a lot in, in, in yours as well, you, you might, uh, you know, uh, getting people to come to your church is almost like prospecting. Like they come, but they don't start giving for a while. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you might not see any of that. Yeah. The uh, sales cycle. Yes. If you want to call exactly, it that. Exactly. Longer. Uh, and obviously what we're doing isn't, you know, just to get them to give to us, but you, you, to, to build that organization, you know, it needs to be supported. And so, um, you're trying to, you, you know, you're trying to see, um, as we're growing, I know that we're, the money will trail behind a little bit. What is that going to look like and what do we need and, and who's our, who's our next hire? Yeah. Honestly, there is some real similarities there to our business. You know, even if you get a client, there's always a lag between when you actually start getting commission and then, you know, you're having to service that client before that commission comes in. And so you're really kind of running at a loss for a little bit of time until that money starts to come in. And so there's kind of a, you know, sometimes internally we're having to play the game with, yeah. with the powers that be here or with yeah. our account management teams to say like, Hey, this is justified expense. Yes. You just have to wait. Yeah. And <laughs> so we would, we would use the language of uh, plus or minus. Like, mm. is this, is this staff person going to be a plus guy or a minus guy? And, and so minus would just, or, or gal and minus doesn't mean bad. It just means that, that, you know, this could be um, a support staff that is super necessary, but you're not going to see a direct correlation between that hire and them uh, bringing in more people or more money. Right. Mm. Whereas, uh, a plus guy, uh, is going, you know, you, you're going to hire him and maybe you don't have the, you know, X amount of money in the, in your personnel budget for him, but you want to take a chance because he's going to bring in, uh, a hundred new people that is, that is going to provide, he's going you know, to pay for himself in a sense. In terms of like, he's out here prospecting or he's just, you know, who he is brings something to us or maybe it's both. Yeah. I mean, like, let's say, let's say, let's say you're in a college town and you want to uh, hire a college minister. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, the yeah. college minister is not going to make you any money right? because college kids don't have any money. Mm. So that's a minus position 
but you're saying that's worth it because we want to minister to this community or this campus and um uh you know unless we can you know unless a few of their parents are going to donate in the end it's it's a minus position for me yeah um but if i go out and hire this you know uh, like Maya at our, you know, at our church, like I go out and hire Maya to do, to help connect people into our church, uh, and to do it excellently. Um, she's going to kill that and it's going to be, uh, and, and more people are going to come to our church because of her and get connected and, 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 and begin to give. So she's a plus gal. That's a right. plus position in that sense. Gotcha. Um, and so, you know, if we're in a position where it's like, and I don't know if I can hire somebody right now because I'm looking at my budget, I'm not sure, but I want to take a risk. Um, I'm going to ask that question. Is, is, is this a plus role or a minus role? So you're more likely to take a risk on a, on a plus, plus role. role. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. I think that's really helpful for probably a lot of our kind of nonprofit entrepreneurs too, yeah. who are probably running in the red yes. quite a bit as they're yes. building their business and considering when do I bring a team member yes. on and is that worth the, worth the risk? Right. And, and you know, a nonprofit isn't obviously making profit. And so there's literally, I mean, somebody could hand them a million dollar check and they'd be able to spend that that year. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there would be needs, there would be places for that money to go. And that, and that money is going to be gone. Mm-hmm. You know, that it, there's, um, uh, there's, there's always a need. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, you're always running in, in the red in that sense, yeah. uh, because the money you're receiving is meant for your mission, right? It's not meant for your profit it's meant to go back out. Yeah. 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 It makes sense. Okay. So, you know, you've touched some there on the building and I want to go back to something and then we'll come back to my kind of where I am in my thought process. But, uh, you, you talked a little bit about hiring different roles and how you find people. And so Higginbotham, we talk often about what we call as the Thanksgiving day test, meaning hmm. it's really just our language of culture yeah. that you don't, we don't want to hire anybody that you wouldn't be comfortable eating Thanksgiving dinner with your family. Yeah, that's good. If, if that person doesn't fit at your table, then they, why do they fit here? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we're going to hire outside of that on occasion, if it's a talent to your point that yeah. it's like, well, we just need this role right now. And this is the best person for the job. So how do you go about, about, I would think, especially in a church type context, culture is probably a big part of that. Um, how, how do you vet culture? How do you find people? Is it word of mouth? Is it friend of a friend? Is it we post jobs is yeah. all the above. I mean, yeah, yeah. There's a couple of things um, I think we've learned. I mean, one, if you're hiring um, uh, inside the the church, meaning you're you're hiring somebody inside a network or uh, you know a friend of the friend, um, or uh, you're gonna you're gonna know some things about them. You're gonna know um, uh, their their culture fit. Uh, you know more mm-hmm. so than you would have if you're hiring from, you know from outside. Right. Uh, you're going to know, uh, their character. Probably you're gonna have a good idea of just, uh, this is a good character guy. This is a good dude. This is a good gal. Um, I, I think they'd fit in well uh, because they're inside. What mm-hmm. you probably don't know is competency. You know, yeah. uh, you don't know if, if, you know, one of your key guys, friends is going to be good at this just cause he's friends with that guy. Doesn't mean he's going to be, you know, good too. Right. Um, and, and, and then when you hire from the outside, you typically know competency, uh, because you've, you've done the referrals and they've worked in the, in the same industry or they've got some past, uh, performance you can look at. And so, you know, they can do the job, but because they're outside of the organization and that maybe not relationally connected, you don't know culture fit mm. and you don't know character. Yeah. And so you just need to kind of know that going in, uh, to that, that, um, if you're a high culture organization, um, most of your hiring should probably be, you know, relationally and, and, and from kind of a, a closer network, a closer circle of, sure. of, 
of, of people. Yeah. Um, whereas if, man, you're just trying to hire, you know, hardcore talent and, and, and you feel like you can, uh, you're, you're a good judge of character or, or it's a strong enough culture that it, it will, uh, you, you know, you can maybe interview for that and just kind mm-hmm. of, you know, check to see if they'd be a fit and, and you feel like they could, uh, absorb that culture easy, you know, then maybe you go outside and you, and you just find the stud, uh, guy or gal that's, that's already yeah. done it. Yeah. And of course, every role and every situation is different, but you just know that. That if I'm hiring from within, I know character and culture and compatibility, uh, but I don't know competence probably. Um, uh, but if I hire from outside, I know I know they can do the job. The other thing about culture, though, that we've learned is that uh, you can have a strong culture. You can also have a strong accidental culture. Uh, you can you can like for us, it's like you know we want to we want to we want to dream big and uh, we want to honor one another. And we've got some some cultural values that are really close to our heart. Mm. Um, but we also have accidental cultural values that we don't, we don't, you don't realize that's when you're sitting around the boardroom and you're like, man, everybody here acts and looks and dresses the same, mm. you know, everybody here, um, uh, you know, I don't know. They just talk the same. Right. Uh, and, and that could be sometimes bad, right. You know, uh, you can lack the kind of diversity yeah, of you thought. You fall into some or, of that group think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, exactly. Uh, yeah. And you fall into an echo chamber where you didn't even realize it. Mm. And so, you know, culture can be strong in the good things and it can also be strong in the bad things. Dude, there's like 10 things you hit on right there that I want to like talk about. And so I'm going I'm to land on a couple. The first one is, so a story that I'll never forget, I think about it all the time from when I was coaching is uh, – I coached with a guy named Pat Washington. He's now a receivers coach at Appalachian State, but he was at Tennessee for a long time when Phil Fulmer was there and they were winning national championships. Yeah. And, uh, and I asked him, so what happened? Because, you know, they did this meteoric climb, won a national championship, and then they started to fall off. Yeah. And he said, man, what happens is you develop this culture and you do things a certain way and it gets you there and you're having success and you're sticking to who you are. And uh, he's like, and then in our world, we would bring in the blue chip recruit yep. and we brought in one yep. and he was a horrible culture fit, yeah. but the culture was so strong that he fell in line yeah. and you took a chance on this guy that was yeah. nothing like your yeah. kind of guy, yeah. but because the culture was so strong, it worked yeah. and he fell in. So then you take a chance on another couple of them yeah. and then three or four. And then you said, and then you looked up, yeah. we had a whole team of problem kids yeah. and he was like, at that point, it was too late to fix it yeah. because we had changed who we were in the locker room and we yeah. weren't player led anymore and, and we couldn't fix it fast enough. Yeah. And, uh, and I've always thought about that in terms of my own team building of, you know, making sure that we're mindful of yes. uh, who is our kind of person here. Yeah. And do they still fit that? And so yeah. I think it's super important that, that companies stay mindful of it. Yeah. And at the same time, and, and I think Higginbotham is, I wouldn't say we're going through like growing pains in this regards, but we're trying to learn how do we be mindful of diversity of thought, diversity of culture, diversity yeah. of you know, ethnicity and all of those things uh, and still protect culture. Yeah. You know, that um, we're not just, hiring people to check boxes, yeah. but they were hiring the right people yeah. and still looking at diverse talent pools, yeah. meaning socioeconomic statuses, you know, that we're recruiting at Ole Miss and we're recruiting at Prairie View A&M. Yeah. And we're, you know, I mean, so uh, I think there is something to that though that can be learned in terms of 
how do we keep our culture yeah. without becoming groupthink and yeah. still being mindful of diversity? Yeah, and so the challenge is with a, with a growing organization, the challenge is that what, what the leaders or the managers or the CEO or you know whoever's, the people in charge, the people with authority, the pe- people that are leading the teams or, or the departments, when you're in a growing organization, you, you, you can't wait to delegate things. You can't wait to get things off, off your plate, right? Mm-hmm. That's why you're hiring. That's right. why you're, you're going out and you're finding the best people and you're trying to, uh, you're, you're doing that because um, the, 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 the organization is growing, the work has been piling, the responsibilities are overwhelming um, and, and you're handing things off. But what you can't delegate, you can delegate tasks and you can delegate um, the, the tactical things, right? The execution of, uh, the vision and, mm-hmm. and, and all of that. What you can't delegate is culture, right? You have to be the culture by you. I mean, the leader has to be the cultural, you know, uh, uh, uh culture carrier and the culture, um, driver, uh, of the, the team or, or the organization. Yep. And, and that's mistakes that I've made in the past was, mm-hmm. man, I can't wait to find this key position, this key role. So I can kind of step out of this, this, you know, uh, this responsibility so I can start going, doing some of the other things I want to work on. And I stepped too far out to where I wasn't uh, guarding the culture mm-hmm. and I wasn't training the culture and I wasn't defending the culture and I wasn't uh, cultivating the culture. Yeah. Uh, and then you get culture drift and you start falling into those accidental cultural values. Right. Um, because hopefully your culture, whatever that is, and of course it's a sexy word now, but um, uh, whatever that is for you and whatever that means for you, hopefully that's uh, so valuable and so important. It's also so. It's also unique to you that you, you're never going to drift towards those things. You have to fight towards those things. Right. And so what I what I've just I've done and what I've seen done is that we we, we have a tendency, especially in a growing organization, uh, plateaued ones maybe don't, but a growing organization the tendency is to delegate culture and that's where you get drift. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Uh, there's a guy named Patrick Fulcher that, that used to work at Higginbotham and got recruited away. Um, he's, you know, really talented HR guy. He's been at Chick-fil-A. He's been at Ritz Carlton. Yeah. Uh, and I've asked him, Hey, how, how do they protect culture at those places? And it's what you just said that it's all based on the leader. Yeah. He's like, if, if you're at Chick-fil-A and your store has bad culture, they'll replace the leader. Yeah. They'll try to get the leader in line. Yeah. But if the leader is not on board, yeah. then they're not going to get to have a Chick-fil-A anymore because yeah. it all comes top down. Yeah. And that's the thing that they harp on the most yep. because the tactical practicals can happen. Yeah. Uh, but culture has to be yeah. constantly considered and, yeah. and, and given. And even Jamie Ice, um, who was on our podcast last, talked a lot about how much. They just talk about it every day. Yeah. You know, like, do you talk about your cultural values like every day or how do you? Yeah, we, we don't, we don't talk about them every day, but we, yeah, we talk about them a lot. Uh, yeah. so once, once a month we have a, a vision strategy meeting, which is our primary all staff meeting. Uh, and we, we walk through them and we talk about them in regards to, um, different initiatives or, or projects or events or meaning like, how does this event or project fit into our cultural yeah. values or how do our cultural values define how we're doing this? Yeah, both. both. Yeah. yeah, both. Okay. Um, and, and, but again, nobody else is going to think about that more than the leader. Yeah. You know, nobody else is going to think about that. Nobody else is going to guard that. Nobody else is going to protect that, mm. um, uh, m- more, more than leader. And that, that, I think that's the way it should be. Yeah. Um, and you're absolutely right. Like the leader drives 
that, that culture. Mm. Cause you can have, I mean, I've, <clears throat> I've operated in, you know, dozens of different systems and we've had, you know, we're always reworking different processes and we're always tinkering and what would be best now and what would be best here and what's not working over there in the end, what's going to make something work. You know, everybody's heard the axiom that I'll, I'll completely butcher, but like the best, you know, uh, having a plan is better than a per, you know, uh, not having a, the perfect plan. Right. Yeah. Um, or in and, the words of Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched, punched in the mouth. mouth. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, you know, kind of the same thing you're, you can tinker with your systems and your processes and here's how I want to do my calls and here's how I want to, you know, uh, keep track of customers in this way or whatever, whatever in the end, um, uh, those things should be tinkered with, but the, it's, it's the leader that's going to determine the success of, of yeah. any of those things. Yeah, man, that's, a lot of good stuff there. The next thing that I just am curious about, because uh, there's something about a church um, that I would assume you almost have to separate in your mind, or do you, that I'm running a business, and to your point that you just made, the, the people that attend our church are the customer. And so there is a, a business aspect in terms of how am I caring for the customer, how am I getting new customers, um, and so there's something in your mind that, that probably looks at things in a very practical, matter-of-fact way. And at the same time, you know, you have to shepherd these people and there's something more, uh, you know, spiritual about that. How do you balance those two in, in a role like a, a church leader? Yeah. Um, man, I don't think that I do that. I don't think that we, we look. So I know you meant by, you know, seeing the, the, you know, the person come to the church as a customer. Um, but even then, e even if we could use that analogy in a way that, that doesn't feel, um, you know, a little dirty to me, right, <laughs> right, right. but even if, and I, cause I know what you mean, but I still don't, I still don't think of it like that because, yeah. um, and I mean, I wonder, and you, you tell me, uh, if, if this works, you know, in, in every industry or, or business, but I wonder if that's, um, if that's the best way to think about it anyways, I, I wonder if it's not. Um, th this is my vision for who we're going to be. And this is the product that I want to develop. And this is the service that I, um, uh, that just being so committed to what you are actually offering yep. or the need you're trying to fit, fill, or, or even just the, the customer, what they maybe not even, uh, you know, and this is maybe where it, it just doesn't translate, maybe not what they want, but what they need mm. providing that, yeah. um, man, I just, I, I, I think, I think at least, at least for us as a church, if we, cause we have a survey going right now at our church, right? So it'll end here in, in a couple of weeks. We, we, we did this a few years ago and, and so we've got a survey out to our people. Um, and, 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 and it's providing information right now. And so I've looked at it a couple of times. Um, and, and that's helpful to do. I'm looking at these things and it's not going to be, Oh, they say this, they say that. So now we're going to change something because of that. Now we might, if it fits with what we were trying to do and we just, it wasn't working. And so we want to go after it, but I, I want to be so committed to just what, what we're doing that if, if the customer doesn't like it and they opt out, then so be it hmm. because I'm committed to what we're doing. Right. And you know, so, um, you know, for Higginbotham, there's other insurance companies. I'm sure there's been times where you're like, you should probably just go to that insurance company because that's just yeah. not something we do here. Yeah. And we do the same thing as a church. Yeah. And I think, something that I think that, that we consider as a team is that there's a certain level of conviction that you get when you develop more confidence in terms of who we are, what our vision is, what we do well, 
that gives you the ability to speak plainly to people or in a loving manner yes to say hey i don't think we're the best fit for you here yeah. uh you should go do that yep. or um or hey this is absolutely not what's best for you if you're gonna do exactly. it exactly yeah then you can do it sure but i'm just telling you this yeah. is gonna go bad yeah because otherwise yeah. your vision you vision drift you right. know otherwise right. you end up uh you know like one of the fast food restaurants that's you know selling fish but you're a burger place right you know, and yeah. that's, you know, going back to Chick-fil-A, like that's one of the things that they've done so well is they've, 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 I think it's like 12 different or tw they've only added 12 things to the menu in the last, you know, since they started kind of thing. Right. And I, I think, I think you get vision drift, mission drift very easily when you start acquiescing or capitulating to every customer, um, you know, uh, every squeaky wheel. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, just like we're like for us, we're never going to have, you know, you know, um, uh, rock climbing to Jesus in our kids space, you know, and, and we're not going to have, yeah. you know, we're just not going to have that. And yeah. that's okay. If you want that, that's just not going to be us. So, so, so maybe you need to go to another church and that's, that's totally okay. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. And it's totally fine that they have, um, you know, uh, you know, places where you can climb to, to see Jesus. Um, but, but you know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah we're just not going to do something like that or we're not yeah. going to do this. Or we're not going to do that. And I think that's okay. Right. No, I think that's a really valid point. You know, just understanding who you are yeah. um, and being, being okay with that. Yeah. Uh, I actually told, I had another producer this morning that sent me an email asking about uh, something I had posted on LinkedIn. He said, how'd you come up with that? And I said, I didn't really have to come up with it. It was just what I was thinking. Yeah. And so, you know, and I said, you don't have to do it either. You yeah. can just, be okay with who you are yeah. and be confident in that. And yeah. Now that's easy to say when you're, when you're Higginbotham or when you're a church of a, a 11 years and you're established, what's that's hard to do when you're just getting started. Yeah. You know, it's hard to turn away business. It's hard to say sure. no. It's hard to, um, that, that's a, that's a hard thing. Yep. Yeah. And that's a, another great point. I mean, that's something that we have to talk to our mentor our mentees a lot, you know, as a mentor of, of newer producers is that, it, it is really hard to yeah. walk away from that deal that you need the money. Yeah. Um, but if you can do it, then you're going to help set yourself up for more success by having a book of business that you're really proud of and that yeah. you can really serve as well. And yeah. And if you have, if you have, man, that's a, a great point for mentors. I mean, if you have a mentor that says, here's how that's going to go down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You'll get the check next month, but they're going to be the biggest pain in your, in your butt. Yeah. And it's going to actually keep you from, you know, servicing these other people or calling these other people. And in the end, it's going to cost you money and headaches. Yep. Um, and they can listen to you or not, right. but, but that's good to have people that can speak into that and say, here's how that's going to go down. Yep. And it's better for you to just stay streamlined and laser focused on this one thing. Yeah. yeah. Have you had good mentors? In no, terrible mentors. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I have, I mean, my, my, the best mentors for me, um, uh, have all, have all already died. Like they were dead guys. Um, and, uh, and just reading biographies of, um, you know, uh, pastors, um, and, and certainly other, you know, the business leaders and leadership books. And I read all that stuff too. And, and most of them are alive and, and they're great. Um, but best mentors have been just dead. Like they're dead because they're old, they, they, they're old and died, but they had ministered in a similar context that I'm in. Mm -hmm. So they, you know, it's Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones in, in, in London in the twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties, you know, it's a, a, a post-Christian context, an ever-increasing post-Christian context, an urban context, uh, post-modern context, you know, individualistic and autonomous and uh, uh, beginning to, um, 
question institutions and authority and all the things that we're facing now in our in our day mm. and just seeing uh, what what he did and that to tell you what like that's one of the things i learned from him and he he just kind of stuck to his guns even though it was unpopular yeah uh, this is what we're going to do and he had a huge church because of it yeah he had a successful ministry because of it yeah um whereas the the, the churches or the denominations that capitulated to culture capitulated to the customer are 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 either no longer exist now right. um, or are so dead and dying that they're, they're ir- ir- irrelevant completely. Yeah. Um, so I, I, he, he was a great mentor in that. That's awesome. So where's Paradox today? Um, yeah. Met in 11 buildings. Yeah. Yeah. Where... So we, 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 we navigated the, the, the COVID disruption uh, like everybody else did. Uh, we, um, uh, we got tired of the word pivot like everybody else did. <laughs> Uh, and we tore our ACL on all the pivots that yeah. everybody else took. Um, and, and man, it's just been amazing. Actually. Um, mm-hmm. a lot of things were, were really hard about that, but then, uh, where we are now is, is pretty cool. We planted our fourth church during the, the pandemic. So we, we've wow. started four churches, uh, in, so you're like uh, just sending out people from your church to, yeah, yeah. So we've sent out, um, you know, hundreds of people and, um, half a dozen pastors to start four new churches five ten minutes away from us so how do you define success then is it like we have the biggest church that's how we're successful or you know like what yeah i mean we i mean our our mission is to saturate fort worth with the glory and grace of jesus and so to saturate fort worth the whole city um i mean inherent within that language of saturate is decentralization not centralization not getting bigger but getting smaller not um, you know, spreading out, not consolidating. Yeah. So our huh. whole, our whole mission is to actually send out. Um, nice. and so we, we planted a church in North Fort Worth, West Fort Worth, East Fort Worth and West Fort Worth. Uh, so you've got like, you know, white bread, you know, uh, uh suburbanites in North Fort Worth, like they're as, you know, white and suburban <laughs> as it gets. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, Canaan and Eric and, 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 and the dudes on the, on, uh, on the East side, uh, and in more of an urban context. And then we've got Brad more in like a, a pretty, you know, diverse, uh, and, uh, you know, in South Fort Worth, and then you've got West Fort Worth and we just we're so we're all over the city. Um, and we, we planted churches in Brazil and, and we're, we're starting to do some work in the, in, in, in the Middle East as well now. But, um, and then we're, uh, now we're building a, a church in, in, in downtown Fort Worth. So we, we kind of got kicked out of our rented place downtown during COVID and we're meeting just west of, uh, of downtown now at a, in a theater. Uh, but we're, we're building a, you know, 30,000 square foot, uh, church building, uh, right, yeah, in, just right in the heart of downtown, yeah. right, not, not far from where we're at right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So, um, what has been, what have you learned in the process of building a building then? That's probably a, uh, that this is the worst time in the history of the world to construct a structure. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, no doubt that, about that, um, you know, supply chain inflation, you know, shipping, um, you know, all that, all that COVID kind of did. Uh, yeah, this is just a, 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 t- a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. How have you learned that stuff? Is that just leaning on people or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I, you know, I, don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, you know, we, we, we were so far in the process of just, I had already had an architect and a builder that we'd had a relationship with because we had been, uh, we've, you know, we put in um, offers for 16 different places around the city in the last five years. Goodness. Um, uh, and, 
uh, just never had the money, the capital to, to be able to, we were always a million dollars short, a million and a half short. Uh, there was always, you know, a developer grabbing it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then COVID kind of gave us a little bit of a COVID discount um, with, uh, with where we were able to uh, uh, grab some land. Um, so we were, we were far enough down the road that it didn't make sense to go hire kind of like an owner's rep or, or something like that. And so I kind of took that on and got a lot of help in, in council and, and just a good team that we're working with. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a, it's, it's a terrible time to build. Um, and, and, and yet, I mean, that, that's just what, what we're in the middle of. And so it's the same thing as anything. It's just asking a hundred questions and, and I openly just say, Hey, I'm sure this is a stupid question, but you know, right. what, about, what about this? Or yeah. dude, I think that's a, like an actual skill. Oh, people I, that yeah. are willing to just say, I don't know what that is. Yes. Like explain that to yes. me. Yes. Our VP of finance here, I tell him that all the time. He's one of the smartest people I know. And he says that all the time. Yeah. He'll always be like, I don't know what you mean by that. Say yes. that again. <laughs> or like, yeah, po- posturing is like the most ineffective leadership thing to right. do. And I try to go as over the top as possible. So it's not like, I don't know what you're saying. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm a complete idiot when it comes to this. I'm so ignorant. <laughs> this is probably going to annoy you, but yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> um, because I feel like it dis, it's, it's, it's disarming and I really need them to dumb it down as much as possible. Right. Um, because you know, I, I'm probably going to understand it. If you explain a, B and C, I can probably eventually get to D E and F. Right. Um, but if you start at G, I, I still don't know what you're talking about. Right. You know, so I, I want them to get to the like basics, ABCs so that I can, I can kind of fully understand what's happening. Yeah. And man, so much of, uh, I think good business and even like sales, honestly, is being willing to get to that point to where you, you kind of have that rapport with whoever it is that you're talking to, to where we can both understand that you have certain expertise here. Yeah. I have them here yeah. and, and, and let's be intelligent together and connect the dots. Yes. I, I see all too often salespeople here when I'm coaching them, they're trying to tell people yes. this is what you need to do. This yes. is how you do it. Yeah. I always try to coach the younger guys and girls here that, hey, that, that person you're talking to is probably pretty smart. Yeah. They have a business that they're running. Yeah. You don't have to have every answer and you don't have to tell them every no. answer. Like if you can empower them to make the right decisions, yes. they'll probably make the best decision for their company. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like true genuine information is so valuable. You can only get that by letting people talk. Right. And asking questions like, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, n- negotiation tactics is, are like, you know, mirroring like you, you just you're continually repeating what people are saying to you and, 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 and asking it almost like as a question like, uh, wait, wait. So so you do that. Why? You know, yeah. and, and you're just you're just wanting to get more and more information so you can serve people better or win the negotiation yeah. or make the sale or whatever it is. And there's a lot of studies that show that people perceive a successful meeting based on how much they talk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's awesome. So it, it's so funny because I'm like, when you, people are always asking about presenting, I'm like, you shouldn't have to present really just have a conversation. And it's, it's hard, man. It's that, um, that temptation to feel like the smartest guy in the room, mm. you know, or the temptation to make an impact. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't ever leave a meeting where you, all you did was ask some questions and listen, um, feeling like, you know, man, they're going to be impressed with me, right? you know, cause no, you gotta have answers and you gotta have this, you gotta have that. Um, and, and yeah, it's just not helpful or effective yeah. to get to what you're wanting to get at. Yeah, man. There's about a thousand other things I feel like we could talk about today. And uh, I'm super impressed by you. Uh, obviously you're a great friend of mine, but also just, uh, hearing parts of your story that I've never heard before, uh, understanding 
just how many different roles a, a pastor has to have in terms of building a business and you know again kind of now you're you're a gc again yeah. <laughs> building, building a building to shepherding people to developing staff uh there's a lot of really great things that you touched on there that i think yeah. a, a lot of our our listeners can learn from and so we appreciate your time the last thing that you know we'll kind of touch on in, in this business world is really uh insurance obviously plays a part in risk mitigation risk management is, is part of of every business um in your experience uh in building a church that's now growing and more staff and more revenue and you know more exposure as you have more people mm-hmm. what it, what has been your kind of experience with the insurance industry is there anything that you would change or complain about or that mm-hmm. you've been like oh this has been helpful or yeah 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 i don't know that i mean um uh, i would have anything too uh insightful i, I mean we um uh, that's part of it is that's not my role on our on our team to, yeah. to, to worry too much about insurance but and I think just as a as an entrepreneur as a business owner or some you know a, a leader of a company or an organization so again especially a growing one uh, that's the kind of thing that's like that's the last thing I want to think about right now mm. I've got all these other things to think about so just as much as possible um, uh, over communicate with clarity would be the the kind of phrase I would use like how do you over communicate with clarity? Um, meaning, uh, there is, uh, I know nothing about insurance. I know nothing about how this works. I need you to start at the ABCs. I need you to be super clear about what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I need you to tell me probably seven times and probably in seven different ways. Uh, like I need it. I need it face to face. I need it in a presentation. I need it in an email. I need you to send me a video. I need you to tell me again. Um, before I'm going to grasp it and really understand what you're talking about and why I need what you're selling or why I need what you need, uh, why, uh, how you're going to provide it for to me. Mm. Um, uh, I, I think we, you know, I think it was Patrick Lencioni that said that, you, you know, people don't hear it until you say it seven times. Um, and I think that's true. I found it to be true with our, with our, with our church, with our community, with our people, you know, there's so much noise. You got so many, so many so many places are selling you things or trying to get your business and, and they're trying to get your business in IT and they're trying to get your business in, you know, uh, insurance. They're trying to get your business in, in, in this, this product or this service or this tool or this, you know, software or whatever it is. And we're not experts in those things. You are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as much as possible, like kind of what we talked about, asking, uh, letting me ask a bunch of questions, asking me the questions I don't know that to ask. Um, and, and just making that as simple and as easy as possible. I think that helps build trust and maybe even shows me the, the need, you know, right. um, like, like I've got, um, uh, uh, you know, we've got to make a decision on like retirement right now. And, and, uh, uh, we've got a couple of options because we need to move from what we're doing right now to somebody else. And it's just, it feels like a, a rock in my shoe. It's not something I want to do. It's just something I have to do. And I want this to be as easy and simple as possible right. because I have, I'm more focused on my mission and what I'm trying to achieve and the work that I'm trying to do. I know this is a necessary part of it, but man, how, how do you, how do you over communicate? Um, don't make me feel dumb, but no, I am dumb and, uh, and, and be patient in, in providing me this, you know, service that that's necessary. And you all know this. I mean, it's also broken. There's a lot of brokenness in the insurance industry and it's frustrating to people. Mm-hmm. And we don't know why you know why, you right. know, and, uh, we can't do anything about it and you really can't do much about it. Yeah. Um, and so as much as possible, making that easy. Yeah. I think it, that's, uh, 
education is such an important part of, of what we do and, and can be a lost part of, uh, again, kind of alluding back to what we just talked about, teaching clients about what it is, why it's necessary, or, you know, it's often insurance purchasing. I've said this other times on this podcast. At the end of the day, it's as simple as risk mitigation. Mm. How much risk are you willing to take? Mm. Here's, here's what that would cost. Mm-hmm. And here's what it would cost if you wanted less risk on your plate. And, yeah. and then you make a, an opportunity cost decision there. What's been the best way is. in which you've, you feel like you've educated the, the, the potential customer? Like yeah. you, you, said, you said that, that that's so key is like mm. teaching them, mm. educating them. What's been the best way to do that? How, how, how have you seen that? I think, uh, I think learning that, um, to my point earlier about developing conviction around what it is that I'm teaching, mm. um, so that I can talk to a client in a plain way, understand what their business is, and then, uh, and then to your point, I always call it A and E, just anything and everything mm. that they need to communicate that. So if that's we do this with paper or right. emails right. or, you know, this person likes to communicate via text, right. like whatever that thing is, right. making sure that you're hitting those people in the avenues that they want. Because at the end of the day, the business that you're in and the business that I am in is a people business mm-hmm. and no two people are the same and they don't consume information the same way. They don't understand it the same way. Yeah. Um, some of them are like, look, I just want you to handle it. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so it's, it's that process of, uh, trying anything and everything till you meet them on their yeah. playing field yeah. and it's understood. And, and then we can make decisions from there. And, and again, being willing to walk away or even sometimes telling people, Hey, this is how I would handle it. If you don't want to do it that way, then that's fine. But work with that person. Yeah. Um, because I've found that that, that same client comes back yeah. at some other point because they'll say, you know, Carter was really honest about that other thing. And I think that's, I mean, you, yeah. the, the thing that stood out was just teaching with conviction. I mean, you know, everybody's experienced somebody trying to sell them something and they don't really believe it or they don't really care or, you know, um, I think that's huge. Just teaching with conviction. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's helpful. Well, sweet. Thanks Jim. Appreciate your time. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll see you soon. Can't wait to see your building open down here. uh, Just a few blocks from our office. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. All right. Last thing then, where can people find you? I mean, where is the church? Yeah. Uh, is there a website, Instagram, yeah. your yeah. Instagram, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So we're, we're currently meeting at the Ridgely Theater, uh, just west of downtown Fort Worth, 9 and 11 a.m. Cool. Uh, and uh, the website is theparadoxchurch.com, theparadoxchurch.com. Uh, I'm, out, I'm on all the socials, just my name. Cool. Uh, How do you spell your name? The last name's tricky. So whenever I, I get a room at a hotel or get a reservation at a restaurant, I just say Smith, Jim Smith. <laughs> I learned that from my dad. Um, and uh, it's Essien, so E-S-S-I-A-N. Nice. Yeah, yeah I won't give away the secret, uh, but Clayton Kirsch always uses office characters yes. from the movie. I know you, I know <laughs> I mean, you told the me the TV show The Office. Yes. So I think that's a baseball thing. You got to have a fake name. You got to have a fake name when you're going yeah. in town, man. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yep. Yeah.